Hello and welcome to Move Conversations. This is your host Venkat. In this episode, we talk to Mr. Siraj Chaudhary. My co-producer Mrigank and I know Siraj for many years now. He's a distinguished alumnus of Indian Institute of Foreign Trade or IIFT. So for us, a fellow IIFTian and former chairman of Kargil India Private Limited. He led the transformation of a traditional B2B business into FMCG by expanding Kargil's food business in India in edible oils, in flour, corn products, and food ingredients. He's now the MD and CEO of National Collateral Management Services Limited, or NCML. Welcome to Move Conversations, Siraj. Hi, hi Venkat. Pleasure to be connected to you again. Our pleasure. Thanks for taking time out to join us. So in today's discussion, let's hear about your experience in leading Cargill India. But before that, please do tell us about this uh, National Collateral Management Services uh, Limited or NCML. This, the name sounds quite interesting. So what does it do? Okay, it is an interesting company. It is uh, is uh, India's perhaps the largest agri uh, post harvest agri service providers. Uh, we are uh, one of the largest uh, storage uh, and preservation company for agri produce uh, with capacity of uh, storage uh, to the tune of about 1.6 million tons of grain, uh, which we handle regularly. And uh, then uh, collateral management, as uh, the name suggests, which is essentially managing uh, the collaterals that go uh, that the banks lend uh, uh, collaterals for the lending that the banks do to the agri sector uh, we are in the testing and uh, surveying space uh, we have 15 laboratories around the country uh, we have a weather and agri consulting business uh, where uh, we have ag uh, what we call the automatic weather stations located across the country through which we capture weather data which is used for uh, settling wow. crop insurance claims and we use that data to further create knowledge uh, and information around uh, uh, crop progress and uh, ma manage the price monitoring, uh, both for the government and the private sector. Uh, we have a supply chain business where we procure for our customers and store it and finance them for using those produce, largely the mid-sized um, food processing companies. And then we have a market yard platform where uh, there is a trading and a price discovery and reverse auctions for people who want to sell or buy uh, all through a platform. In fact, that platform has actually played a key role uh, during uh, the whole pandemic situation because when the Mondays were closed, uh, we yeah. actually invited the farmers to come and sell on that platform uh, where uh, you know long distance, the buyers and the sellers could get together, uh, leveraged our warehouse presence in the rural areas to allow the farmers to come on board and uh, trade uh, as they were not able to go to the Mondays. So as you can see, a whole range of uh, portfolio of activities, we've now moved into transportation where we are managing transportation services for food companies as well as non-food companies and uh, also building uh, you know relationship with the food sector where we can manage their supply chain where the companies uh, fmcg companies with, or the retail industry which is in the front end of uh, serving the consumers uh, sure. we, we have the expertise to manage their back end so uh, a different business from what i did uh, in my past in kargil but uh, all linked to agriculture so uh, from food i've actually moved one step back into uh, agri supply chain you know, uh, quite fascinating when I heard you describe what you do, um, you know, from, from warehousing to, to testing to weather, now moving into logistics and, you know, setting up the marketplace for people to come on board and do that, uh, you know, to sell. 
um reminds me of uh, you know the famous harvard professor tarun kanna's uh, you know talking about like in 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 the emerging economies in developing countries if you don't find certain services uh, don't complain about it look at it as an opportunity and set up those kinds of institutions um, you know if you are a foreigner or if you are a local person and you can set up those institutions to provide these kinds of things exactly he talks about you know quality assurance services testing services data you know whatever is the nature of you know in the supply chain whichever part of the supply chain or vertical that you are you know the data is missing you can provide that uh, so literally this seems to be like like a jumping out and like you know uh, addressing most of the things that he talks about that that uh, country will beat india beat many other developing countries lack uh, and uh, you know addressing that um, so who is behind this and tell us a little more so ncml is uh, owned by fairfax uh, which has close to 90% uh, holdings in ncml uh, fairfax uh, uh, perhaps you may be aware is a leading uh, fund based out of canada which has major investments in around the globe in agriculture infrastructure finance uh, so in india they have uh, major investments in uh, from bangalore airport to ifl to a few other uh, large uh, initiatives and uh, they are uh, very focused on india uh, they want to uh, you know leverage the opportunity that india provides and mm-hmm. and across sectors i mean they we are still uh, you know significantly uh, evolving as an economy and uh, uh, some of the developmental sector i mean development areas the infrastructure the banking the financing uh, and the agriculture of course and that uh, mm-hmm. keeps us uh, or keeps them invested in ncml uh, the patient investors uh, mm-hmm. very committed to india wonderful wonderful so so moving on to so a, again in in a sense that you are still involved with um, uh multinationals in one way or the other uh and uh, and then um, you have spent significant amount of uh, time in your career leading a multinational like cargill so so let's let's move on to our theme uh of the day which is like uh which is about uh, about leading a multinational in india you know based on your experiences so let me begin that discussion with like uh, uh on that theme how should uh, you know mncs think organize and operate differently in india uh interesting question venkat uh, unfortunately for me uh, you know i i was part of cargill for a very long time uh, you know my story typically goes to say that i joined cargill when cargill was operating out of a house in vasant vasant vihar in delhi and uh, you know to see it grow to be the 5 6 i i mean i've been out of cargill for the last 2 years but uh, it's a much larger organization with significant reach across the country uh, in various areas that you just mentioned uh, right. so i would say that uh, one was fortunate to be part of uh, that journey you know be a witness participant and contributor to the growth of an organization uh, from its uh, pretty much its inception in india uh, uh, what i would see is that uh, one uh, there has to be a certain amount of commit i mean but of course is the commitment uh, that an organization has to a country uh, i happened to join cargill at a time when india was just uh, sort of opening up as an uh, uh, opportunity area and uh, cargill was uh, very keen uh, india uh, you know uh, if you understand cargill i'll just uh, share it in a few words when i joined sure. cargill way back in 1994 uh, was uh, to a large extent uh, seen as a trading company uh, company managing the supply chain 
uh, of uh, you know fulfilling uh, uh, carrying uh, agri produce from surplus areas to deficit areas uh, india was uh, less attractive for kargil at that point of time because india by and large has been a country which has been self sufficient in its agriculture and food requirements i mean we produce everything that we need uh, and the only thing that we and you know and, no, and we produce sort of uh, just enough most of the times uh, but uh, you know some of the commodities we exported at that time were uh, really uh, sugar uh, or uh, you know soybean meal and what we imported at that time was really only edible oils and uh, so that was the opportunity that Cargill saw in India and that's where I joined them and uh, set up uh, that business then I moved to Geneva and came back to uh, Cargill in India at the time when Cargill wanted to start investing in India, invest big. I mean, they had uh, small investments uh, uh, even before I went to Geneva, but uh, wanted to have a sort of full play. And Edible Oils was the space where there was link between, uh, you know, India being a deficit country, Cargill seeing a trade flow uh, opportunity, but then serving the large companies and businesses in India. So what was uh, required? I think first thing is that uh, for any multinational to be looking at India and, you know, some of my conversation or some of my uh, views may be a little dated because the world has changed significantly in the last 25 years uh, that I've been sort of uh, with, uh, that I was with Cargill. Uh, but at that time, India was just sort of opening up. Uh, people were tentative on uh, where things would go. Governments were just formulating their policies. Uh, we were on a progressive mode as a country. I mean, the liberalization had happened. And while uh, there were multiple governments that were coming and going during that period, uh, I think the commitment to opening up the economy had uh, been set. And uh, irrespective of the government in power, there was a, a sort of a move towards opening up the economy. Multinationals were seeing India as a big market after China. India was the sort of uh, economy to get into in this part of the world. Uh, of course, there were Brazil and Russia and all those uh, countries which were opening up too at that time. And uh, so the first thing was that uh, in a large corporation such as Cargill, uh, it needed sponsors at the headquarters to look at uh, India as an opportunity area. And yeah. those sponsors would look at India um, or any other country for that matter, based on the kind of people who were working for Cargill at that time here. So I would say that the people who worked for Cargill in those periods, uh, you know, I would use the phrase, uh, phase 1995 to 2000, uh, were obviously doing a lot of work to mm -hmm. attract um, the global leadership's attention to India, Show, keep showing them the opportunities, one, two, three, I mean, uh, in various spaces. And, uh, and the global leadership had to sort of uh, see where those opportunities were fitting into the larger plans. And uh, if they sort of uh, were convinced that we had the opportunity or the and the people to uh, leverage uh, that opportunity to execute that opportunity so i think uh, one of the things that cargill did right was that it for the longest period of time uh, i don't think cargill had any expat uh, leadership uh, barring um, you know certain businesses or some individuals but uh, what i think was important was to have strong leadership on the ground and uh, mm -hmm. strong leadership which understood the ground realities and a strong leadership that could convince and build trust with the leadership outside uh, India and uh, to say that, okay, India is the place to be in. Uh, because at that time we were fighting with China for, uh, I mean, the, the company had the options to go anywhere. So in fact, uh, my sort of conversation with the government agencies at that time used to be that, you know, I mean, all the states hold 
uh, various uh, events attract for uh, you know investment uh, opportunities and showcase their uh, sort of uh, policies and uh, uh, subsidies and incentives that they're providing to uh, new investments. And I used to tell them that, you know, you and I are on the same side because I have to go and do the same selling of India uh, to my larger corporation. And uh, so the first thing is that how do you position your country or your business uh, to your larger organization? And how does that fit into their larger plan. India had an advantage that we were a growing economy, the world talked about us, and uh, you know the capital was looking for opportunities. Uh, and after China, I think uh, India fitted the bill. So I happened to be at the right place uh, at the right time to get Cargill to invest in India. Right, so, so yeah, so you got them to invest. Um, so how did they, uh, choose to operate differently from others? And then what were the elements of your India strategy? Uh, yes. So uh, that, so we were not a B2C company. So we weren't yeah. bringing any global brands uh, into India. You know, there've been large uh, multinationals which have brought in their, uh, you know, you know, the names that we all know, uh, whether sure. in the food space, cosmetic space, uh, anything, I mean, cars, everything. We had no, no such uh, brand except our name to bring into this country. And uh, it is important that we build our brand. Uh, I mean, for me, that was important as a leadership uh, approach. Uh, what we did was to say that, okay, how do we differentiate Cargill? And uh, remember, in the agriculture space that we came in, it was a very unorganized space. I mean, large part of Indian agriculture and food uh, at that point of time was fairly unorganized. There were small players. There were a few big multinational brands. But yeah. uh, beyond that, uh, the whole food and agri space was organized around uh, small companies or uh, local traders and, uh, you know, uh, all very uh, dissipated and diluted. Uh, and in that crowd, to set your identity, uh, we had to set some differentiators. So the first differentiator that uh, we did, uh, and remember, uh, you know, Cargill being an extremely strong uh, on ethics company, uh, there was nothing that we could do to, uh, you know, take a shortcut to success or, uh, you know, get things done, which uh, were, you know, not by the book. So uh, it was tough. I mean, it was, uh, we were uh, actually, I, I would say that we were sort of fighting with our hands tied or battling with our hands tied uh, because one, you had to follow the straight and narrow path. You had to keep your um, sort of uh, corporate headquarters engaged with the geography that you were working in. And at the same time, you had to build a business which was, which could compete with the rest of the uh, businesses or the, you know, the industry that you were in and be successful. So uh, those were the three different uh, sort of challenges one had to do. Uh, or grapple with. I was fortunate. I had support uh, from the leadership in Cargill at that time. Uh, the good thing, as I said earlier, India was on the map for being a country which had opportunities. And thereafter, it was about building a culture here, building the landscape or for this large organization to find its bearing. So what worked for us? Uh, fun was that we had to establish, uh, and we did, uh, an image of being an ethical and clear, uh, clean player. Uh, the, this market has had, uh, or in the past, I'm, uh, everything I'm talking about is in the early 2000s. Uh, we are much yeah. uh, away from that in the world and the whole landscape of doing business in India has changed. But uh, the important part was to set your brand as saying, okay, these are good people. They stick to their word. Uh, you know, in commodity price, uh, you know, businesses, uh, their price volatility, people back out, people don't deliver on their contracts. Uh, so we made it a point to be doing that right. We built our plants in India 
to the best standards in the world. So there was no compromise on saying that, you know, India's uh, slightly, you know, lower quality or whatever. We got the best engineers to build the best plants. We built, built edible oil refineries in India. And those were plants which were at that point of time, from a Kargil perspective, uh, the best in class. Uh, so uh, there was a clear commitment to India. I mean, uh, our plants reflected that commitment because we were putting our money where our mouth was. And, uh, and then conducting business in a manner which was uh, extremely clear and ethical. What it did require was a certain amount of patience because, uh, you know, people, uh, when they're trying to build a business uh, quickly, do take shortcuts. And we have decided that we will be patient. Fortunately, we had a strong financial backing and Cargill is a financially strong company. Sure. And uh, that allowed us to set the rules by which we were going to play. So whether it was employee health and safety, whether it was uh, getting our permits without having to um, make anyone happy, uh, <laughs> it was uh, by choosing the right people to build the team, uh, giving them the right training and exposure, uh, and then going to the market with a product which we could call and prove to be high quality. Uh, and call it uh, not just product, but services too that went with that product. So I think uh, that was the beginning. Now, was doing all that making money for us? No, because when you start with uh, high investments, when you start with uh, certain standards, which are significantly higher than what prevailed in the market at that point of time, uh, you do become an expensive operator uh, relative to the local uh, margin structure, if I may use the word. Sure. Uh, and that did uh, have its challenges. So, uh, so what we thought at that point of time was that uh, we needed to, uh, you know, find those areas where we could differentiate. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that differentiation could come from uh, one, the brand, uh, you know, having brands because uh, brand does give you the opportunity. I mean, the right brand with the right promise and the right delivery gives you the, the premium that you want uh, in a way mm -hmm. to take care of uh, the higher cost of operating. Uh, and of course, right. it gives you a larger spread. So your economies of scale kick in. And the second was that you had to demonstrate better technology or uh, you know the whole application and uh, you know better product. Uh, mm. This I'm talking more from a B2B perspective. So we had True. a B2B business and a B2B where we could go to customers and say that we can offer you better product and services. At the mm. same time, we could go to B2C customers and uh, you know say that we've got uh, good brands. Now, we could do it not just by building our brands, but uh, we undertook a major uh, sort of brand or market uh, presence expansion by acquisition of brands. Uh, mm -hmm. And that allowed Cargill to reach a larger number of consumers uh, uh, sooner. So essentially, mm -hmm. using our strong balance sheet to build uh, market access rather than taking a long organic route to building presence in the market. So, uh, but all this was done uh, uh, by uh, continuously engaging and aligning the leadership outside India. And so uh, that brings me to that question, right? So, what are the, you know, you did so many things a, you know, B2B company to B2C company, um, taking a different approach to, uh, you know, operating in the market. Uh, you know, bringing certain, uh, you know, good management practices from the headquarters and, you know, building that brand, uh, you know, uh, and also facing the challenge of a company which was, uh, 
um, doesn't have consumer brands that people know it about, you know, so, so you have to literally, you have to build it from the scratch. Right. And, and even furthermore, uh, you know, Cargill, as we know, is uh, one of the largest privately held company or the largest Absolutely. for a long period of time has been the largest privately held company, which means like, like, you know, it's not listed on the exchange and things like that. So people don't know much about it in that sense, if they want to find out also. Um, so, so given that, uh, scenario. So, so what makes it interesting for me to understand from you will be, you know, what kind of uh, uh, freedom and authority that you need to uh, get from, you know, demand and get from the headquarters. Yes, so that was very critical. I mean, as I said, which that, areas uh, would you focus on? To no, so I was very fortunate that I had uh, people who were leading Cargill and who were looking after India as uh, at the leadership level, global leadership level, who uh, over a period of time had established trust in the leadership in India. Uh, so uh, in the phase between, I would say, 2000 to 2010, uh, which is the period when Cargill had that major expansion uh, in the edible oil and the consumer space. Uh, we had leadership in Cargill that was uh, extremely supportive. Now, it was not very easy for them because they were not people who were coming from the consumer space. So we had to be very convincing about our story, uh, deliver the results, uh, deliver the, uh, you know, the whole market expansion. But uh, that was, I think, one of the single most important re uh, reason for our growth that we had leadership that was extremely committed to India. And, uh, you know, and, and obviously when you are dealing with them, you're delivering, uh, it's all about building trust, right? I mean, they needed to know whose neck was on the block. And if I was willing to put my neck on the block and say that, okay, this is uh, where it is. And, uh, but in return, this is required. Uh, we were uh, getting supported. So, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, joint ventures and mergers and acquisitions, etc. In, in 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 India, how should uh, MNCs think about it? Well, I'm 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 prompted, uh, you know, to to ask to, to ask this question because um, um, if the as you said for a for a foreign company uh, like Cargill, the nature of operations itself, you know, in the in the market would have been was different, you know, from their mindset, uh, you know, the the default assumptions about how Indian market operates. Um, so if you're going to go further into joint ventures, mergers, acquisitions, etc., uh, and I'm, I'm aware that you did some of them. So how should they think and execute these things? So yeah, we had challenges. I mean, my initial uh, thoughts were that uh, you know large companies, multinationals, uh, had a problem getting into joint ventures here because they were typically acquiring uh, family-owned Indian businesses, and uh, those had very difficult different operating cultures. And I personally had the experience of doing a joint venture um, or being part of uh, a joint venture with Cargill did uh, with a very large edible oil company in um, the west of the country, uh, a family owned company, very well run company. But, uh, you know, the important part here is that all these family run businesses come with certain values. Uh, I mean, we had a system where, uh, you know, this uh, joint venture partner in their office it required you to take off your shoes before you entered the office. And uh, so all of us uh, actually imbibed that. Uh, and, you know, uh, so all, whether they were uh, people coming from the West or uh, wherever, we would start taking off our shoes and uh, when we visited our joint venture partner. Gradually, uh, but what I saw, and which was a, a lesson that, uh, you know, very often we make the mistake. Uh, and I, I mean, I felt that Cargill probably uh, did that uh, 
not so well in the beginning, but got to know it very well uh, by the time we sort of got on, uh, is that when you acquire a local company, you're acquiring them for the way they have done business, the value that they have created, and that is what you're paying for. And then if you acquire that company and then try and make them like yourself, you're actually somewhere losing uh, the value that Some you elements. were paying for. And, uh, Some elements, yeah. And, so for us, it was important. I mean, for me, that was, uh, you know, the biggest uh, advantage of acquiring an Indian company was at that time learning the way uh, and a smart Indian businessman run uh, that company, right? right. So I think uh, there has to be a greater desire to learn from the acquisition than to just convert it uh, to be another version of uh, your own organization, because uh, not that there is anything wrong in doing that, but you actually sacrifice a lot of value that you have paid for and uh, probably just keep uh, multiplying your own versions rather than, uh, you know, acquiring certain, I mean, there are practices, there are processes uh, which need to be brought in. But I think that uh, that uh, business instinct, that uh, touch with the market, the dealing with the employees, uh, all those are things which Indian good, uh, well-run Indian businesses provided us an opportunity to learn from. Yeah, it's an interesting point that you make here that um, it's not you didn't buy you don't buy certain, some of these companies for just for their resources, right? Or uh, or or like in technology industry that they do today, um, they buy a, a early stage company for the people, right? It's right. it's it's basically people acquisition. It's not even a company acquisition per se. So whereas in these kinds of situations, you are buying these acquiring these companies for. Uh, local processes that they have created for the culture that they have created, uh, you know, and the market connections and the network that have been created. Absolutely. And as you said, they are family-based companies means they would have had relationship-based uh, net network, right? Absolutely. So, so if you, if you don't, uh, you know, uh, keep that and you treat it only as for the resources and uh, for the for the at yeah, the so most for the people ultimately, ultimately you transition them but uh, the pace at which you do it i mean uh, you know it is not to say that okay we've got your market we've got your people and then we don't need you is not uh, the way i would look at it i mean you do change it but uh, it's over a period of time when you're learning from it as well as uh, you know improving it gradually thank you for joining us in yet another episode of move conversations Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the Move Conversations YouTube channel and press the bell icon to get notifications of new episodes. Thank you very much. Till I see you in the next episode. Thank you very much. Have a great day.